Welcome to the Environmental Justice Report. It's been a whole year now. I'm your host and producer, Janine Moloff. EJR is one year old tonight, actually tomorrow. Our first, our premiere show was actually July 16, 2020. So we're almost a year old. And so tonight I thought, you know, we'll do a slight overview of some of our programs, the ones that I found particularly interesting, unusual. Um, this year's been eventful. So I'm going to look at, you know, some of the guests we had, you know, starting out with we had anti-nuclear activist Libby Haley, we had water protector Maggie Herchala, we talked about environmental crimes and the political actions which enable these crimes. We discussed the inextricable link between political corruption and environmental crimes, and especially the crime of environmental racism. <coughs> Sorry, folks. So I'm going to talk about some, a handful of our stories. And, you know, our first episode dealt with the legislative overhaul of the law known by the acronym of NEPA. Now, NEPA had been attacked by the Trump administration. It's considered to be, quote, the Magna Carta of environmental law. And the Trump administration worked very hard to basically basically dismantle any um, any way of enforcing it, okay? Um, you know, we went to that, and, and honestly, some of the shows we did, I was on a newer, I was on an older computer, and we actually lost some of the files, unfortunately. But one of the things we dealt with in one of our first shows, besides NEPA, was this idea of 17 principles of environmentalism that were enshrined at the Multinational People of Color Environmental Leadership Summit. Because one of the things we really focus on in this show is environmental racism because it's endemic to our system. It's endemic to the casino capitalism that we've embraced that attacks especially low-income neighborhoods, more, which more often than not tend to be communities of color. <coughs> Sorry, folks. Allergy and asthma. So they had this, this Environmental Leadership Summit for People of Color. And so what I want to do is read this statement they made because it is so profound. It's, it's truly a beautiful statement. So here we go. Quote, we, the people of color, gather together at this multinational people of color environmental leadership summit to begin to build a national and international movement of all peoples of color to fight the destruction and taking of our lands and communities to hereby reestablish our spiritual interdependence to the sacredness of our Mother Earth, to respect and celebrate each of our cultures, languages, and beliefs natural world and our roles in healing ourselves, to ensure environmental justice, to promote economic alternatives which would contribute to the development of environmentally safe livelihoods, and to secure our political, economic, and cultural liberation that has been denied, denied that is, for over 500 years of colonization and oppression, resulting in the poisoning of our communities and land and the genocide of our peoples. Do affirm and adopt these principles of environmental justice. I, I couldn't have written it better myself. So here they are. The principles of environmental justice. Number one, environmental justice affirms the sacredness of Mother Earth, ecological unity, and the interdependence of all species, and the right to be free from ecological destruction. Two. Environmental justice demands that public policy be based on mutual respect and justice for all peoples, free from any form of discrimination or bias. Three, environmental justice mandates the right to ethical, balanced, and responsible uses of land and renewable resources in the interest of a sustainable planet for humans and other living things. Four, Environmental justice calls for universal protection from nuclear testing, extraction, production, and disposal of toxic, hazardous waste and poisons 
and nuclear testing that threatened the fundamental right to clean air, land, water, and food. Moving on. Five, environmental justice affirms the fundamental right to political, economic, cultural, and environmental self-determination of all peoples. We lost that call. Number six, environmental justice demands the cessation of the production of all toxins, hazardous waste, and radioactive materials, and that all past and current producers be held strictly accountable to the people for detoxification and the containment at the point of production. Number seven, environmental justice demands the right to participate as equal partners at every level of decision-making, including needs assessment, planning, implementation, enforcement, and evaluation. Eight, environmental justice affirms the right of all workers to a safe and healthy work environment without being forced to choose between an unsafe livelihood and unemployment. It also affirms the right of those who work at home to be free from environmental hazards. Nine, environmental justice protects the rights of victims of environmental justice. I'm sorry, let me start again. Number nine, environmental justice protects the right of victims of environmental injustice to receive full compensation and reparations for damages as well as quality health care. 10, environmental justice considers governmental acts of environmental injustice a violation of international law, the International Declaration on Human Rights, and the United Nations Convention on Genocide. 11, environmental justice must recognize a special legal and natural relationship of Native peoples to the U.S. government through treaties, agreements, compacts, and covenants affirming sovereignty and self-determination. Twelve, <clears throat> excuse me, environmental justice affirms the need for urban and rural ecological policies to clean up and rebuild our cities and rural areas in balance with nature, honoring the cultural integrity of all our communities and provided fair access for all to the full range of resources. Thirteen, Environmental justice calls for the strict enforcement of principles of informed consent and a halt to the testing of experimental, reproductive, and medical procedures and vaccinations on people of color. Fourteen, environmental justice opposes the destructive operations of multinational corporations. Fifteen, environmental justice opposes military occupation, repression, and exploitation of lands, people, and cultures and other life forms. 16, environmental justice calls for the education of present and future generations, which emphasizes social and environmental issues based on our experience and an appreciation of our diverse cultural perspectives. Excuse me. And 17, environmental justice requires that we as individuals make personal and consumer choices to consume as little of Mother Earth's resources and to produce as little waste as possible and make the conscious decision to challenge and reprioritize our lifestyles to ensure the health of the natural world for present and future generations. Oh, excuse me, people. You can find more information on environmental justice and environmental racism at www.ejnet.org backslash EJ, backslash EJ. Um, And these particular principles were read at the first National People of Color Environmental Leadership Summit that was held on October 24th to 27th in Washington, D.C. in 1991. It is really a sad commentary. This document dates back to 1991 and yet we're still fighting the same battles. And that's what this show is really about. It's about shining a light on these dark corners that the very rich and powerful would hide, hiding their crimes against crimes of I mean, hiding their crimes against humanity, hiding their crimes against the planet. A new crime that's that that has been called ecocide. We have to shine that light. We can't fix anything until people understand what's really at stake here. So 
I, I love that those 17 principles, uh, again, they are so present and so well said. You know, the whole concept of justice, let's be honest here, isn't merely about legal trickery and legal deceit by clever lawyers. And it's not merely about semantic hair splitting. It shouldn't be anyway. The concept of justice is basically all about fundamental fairness, which we do not have. So then we're skipping back and forth on this because we, we've done over 40 shows. And when I looked at my files, I thought, oh, my God, I can't, I can't go through all of them. So we're just kind of sampling here and there. So our second episode um, dealt with the systemic criminalization of environmental protest, courtesy of multiple conservative groups, especially ALEC, uh, otherwise known as the American Legislative Exchange Council. Uh, also, some satellite groups from ALEC, like the State Policy Network and the Mackinac Center. So, basically, criminal, not just criminalizing environmental protests and criminalizing what should be considered constitutionally protected dissent, but even when, let's say, the dissent crosses over into minor trespass, which is a misdemeanor, they've turned it into a felony. Uh, oh, excuse me. We're going to talk about that right now. So a real example of this blatant criminalization of peaceable dissent has to do with a group called the Kings Bay Plowshare 7. This is a group of religious um, religious uh, environmentalists. They're religious. They're, they're true Christians in every sense of the word. Okay? This is the Christianity of, you know, the liberal Jesus who cared about the poor, you know, the real Christianity. So, which is ironic considering I'm a Jew telling Christians about Christianity, but again, this is the idea of providing for everybody. You know, even if you only have a sandwich and somebody's hungry, you give them half. It's about decency. So let's talk about the King's Bay Plowshare 7. Hmm. <coughs> All right, so here's the deal. These seven people were convicted of trespassing and basically eh, making a mess at a Navy base. And they face serious jail time. Some are already in jail. So back in 2019, uh, Democracy Now! did a show on it, uh, and the headline was, King Bay Plowshare 7 Found Guilty of Conspiracy at Naval Base Housing Nuclear Arsenal. So this happened in Georgia. A federal grand jury found that seven Catholic peace activists, they found them guilty, these seven people were found guilty on three felony counts and a misdemeanor charge. I'm going to say that again. In Georgia, in 2019, a federal grand jury found seven Catholic peace activists guilty on three felony counts and a misdemeanor charge. What was their crime? They broke into the Kings Bay Naval Submarine Base on April 4th, 2018. Now, these people are older with like maybe one exception. They're elderly. I would like to know how was the security at a naval base that houses nuclear weapons, all right, a, a naval submarine base with nuclear arms, how did, this, did this, the, the security become so lax that these people were able to get in there? I mean, it's not like they had Uzis or automatic machine guns. They didn't. They entered the base, and here's what they were armed with. They had some hammers, crime scene tape. Oh, yeah, they had baby bottles containing their own blood. They also had an indictment that they had written up themselves that charged the U.S. government with crimes against peace. Again, their alleged weapons were some hammers baby bottles containing their own blood, crime scene tape, and a citizen's indictment. How is this terrorism? And that was one of the charges. Now, the base is basically home to six nuclear ballistic missile submarines, at least six of them. And each one of these nuclear ballistic missile submarines carries 20 Trident thermonuclear weapons. Now, the activists said they were following uh, the words of the prophet Isaiah in his command to, quote, be swords into plowshares. Oh, 
Sorry about that, folks. That was an accident. So we're going to beat sources of plowshares. Um, and talk about weather. It looks like it's about to really storm outside. It's suddenly gotten very dark. So getting back to this. So Kings Bay plowshares uh, 7. At their trial, the defendants were not allowed to cite their religious motivations. They weren't. They were, they were actually forbidden by the court from citing their religious motivations. And they were forbidden from mounting a what's called a necessity defense. Okay. Now, when a judge denies the right to use a necessity defense, that's literally depriving the, these people of any defense at all. Okay. Uh, because they're, what they were saying is they're law-breaking by basically going onto the naval base was necessary to prevent what they feared a greater crime of nuclear war. Now, these activists faced more than 20 years in prison at the time, all right? They did this on the um, 50th, an 50th anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination, all right? And the indictment, as I said again, charging from the U.S. government, um, well, their indictment charged the U.S. government with crimes against peace, okay, which I'm sure the U.S. government did not like hearing. Um, and Bill Quigley was their attorney, and, you know, basically he, their attorney explained, quote, as the jury was not allowed to hear the submarines, nuclear weapon submarines that are at Kings Bay, um, that are 3,800 times as much destructive power as the weapon. Okay, let me start over again. Bill Quigley, is their lawyer, is explaining um, how the jury was not allowed to hear vital information. And the attorney explained that at Kings Bay, these nuclear weapon submarines with Trident missiles have approximately 3,800 times as much destructive power as the weapons, the, as the bomb, nuclear bombs we dropped on Hiroshima. Basically, it's enough power to, quote, destroy life on Earth as we know it. So these activists, they took two years of prayer and action, and finally decided that they were going to just do their protests, okay? Um, so, you know, one of, the, um, one of the defendants is a Catholic priest, okay? And, um, you know, I think basically there was an, another article, and um, the Kings, well, let me back up. The Kings Day Plowshare 7. They are the following people, Elizabeth McAllister, Stephen Kelly, Carmen Trotta, Mark Colville, Martha Hennessy, Claire Grady, and Patrick O'Neill. Okay. And uh, basically, Elizabeth McAllister, um, you know, she's basically a founder of the Catholic Peace Movement. So the 50th anniversary of Dr. King's assassination, the way these elderly people got into this naval base, they cut a padlock on the perimeter fence gate. That's all they need to do, cut a padlock, I assume with the wire clippers. Um, and then they went in, and, you know, they were arrested and convicted in federal court of three felonies and misdemeanor trespassing, excuse me, the U.S. attorney called the, they, they said they committed some vandalism. Okay, that's what the U.S. attorney said. They left some graffiti behind. So keep in mind, these elderly peace protesters got into this Navy base with submarines containing very powerful Trident nuclear missiles. And the way they were able to access the base is they cut the padlock at the perimeter gate. Now, presuming these people are older, it probably didn't take much strength, just the wire cutters. That's ridiculous. And then they left some probation, I mean, some graffiti behind. Okay? So, you know, basically what they did, um, they took the baby bottles of their own blood, and they basically sprayed it all over this door. So... Let's see now. I'm trying to get straight to it. Um, and it was basically a, a message, all right, that you have blood on your hands, which presumably, you know, 
it'll wash off. But this was vandalism. Okay, I don't know what the U.S. attorney would consider baby spit up. Maybe that's vandalism too. It's that ridiculous. So they decried in their um, in their actual statement that um, what Dr. King called the triples, the triple evils of racism, excessive materialism, and militarism. So the Kings Bay uh, Plowshares Activist 7, they had an action statement and read as the following, quote, nuclear weapons eviscerate the rule of law, enforce white supremacy. Let me start over again. So here's the statement they gave, which is probably the reason they got jail time, okay? Quote, nuclear weapons eviscerate the rule of law, enforce white supremacy, perpetuate endless war and environmental destruction, and ensure impunity for all manner of crimes against humanity. The ultimate logic of racism is genocide. We say the ultimate logic of trident is omnicide, in other words, killing everything. A just and peaceful world is possible when we join prayers with action, swords into plowshares. Okay? We who share the moral vision of the King's Bay Plowshare 7 proclaim our support for the... Okay, so that was their statement there. I'm sorry. And then... They have a petition that goes on to say, we who share the moral vision of the King's Bay Plowshare 7 proclaim our support for their courage and sustained sacrifice and call for the immediate dismissal of all charges against them. The defendants invite us to act creatively. They invite us to join global coalitions working to promote government's adherence to and full implementation of the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. They also invite us to participate in campaigns for, divest for divestment for nuclear weapons as complementary efforts towards the realization of a world free of nuclear weapons. And then this was this petition was signed by some pretty important people, including uh, the head of the Poor People's Campaign, or co-leader, Reverend Dr. William Barber, uh, Medea Benjamin, Code Pink co-founder, um, most Reverend John Michael Botin, who's a bishop in the Romanian Catholic Diocese, Canton, Ohio, Professor Francis Boyle, author, professor of international law at the University of Illinois College of Law, Dr. Helen Caldicott, Australian physician, author and anti-nuclear advocate, international physicians for the prevention of nuclear war, Sister Simone Campbell, executive director, network lobby for Catholic social justice, Noam Chomsky, his name goes without mention, uh, and it goes on and on and on, and you get the idea. So. Basically, these, the King's Bay Plowshares uh, 7, they embarrassed the U.S. Navy. They embarrassed the feds because, once again, the security at this, at this naval base with submarines filled with very powerful Trident mis nuclear missiles was able to be breached by a wire cutters. They cut the padlock to the perimeter fence and got in. It was that easy. That's number one. Number two, then they took baby bottles of their own blood and they, they basically squirted it on the sidewalk and on the door and they, they left a, what they called their own indictment of the violence of our own government. So they embarrassed bigwigs and they embarrassed the military. And for that, they received many years in jail. Okay, it's absolutely ludicrous. But that's what we're dealing with. Okay, um, so, you know, again, looking back here, um, you know, this was the Naval Station at King's Bay Submarine Base in Georgia. All right, it's the home port to six, at least six, U.S. nuclear ballistics missile submarines that carry hundreds of nuclear weapons. And most of these Trident uh, missiles have up to 30 times the explosive power of the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima to end World War II. And these elderly people were able to breach the security. They're not the ones that should be in jail. It should be the officers in charge of that naval base. They had such lax security to start with. And they were acting legally. They were trying to use this protest to uphold anti-nuclear treaties as the law of the land, according to the U.S. Constitution and the U.N. Charter. And they also wanted to, they 
upheld these anti-nuclear treaties. Let me start again. The seven acted legally to uphold anti-nuclear treaties, as well as the international law manifested in the UN Charter, the Nuremberg Principles, and so on and so forth. Okay? And this is how ridiculous this case is. All right. The signers of the petition also against what happened to the Kings Bay Plowshares activists included Archbishop, Archbishop Desmond Tutu and several other Nobel laureates. Okay? And these people were facing 25 years in prison because they exposed not only the immorality and illegality of these weapons, but they also embarrassed the military. If they could get into their into that naval base that easily, what is to prevent somebody who isn't an anti-nuclear activist, somebody who is a true terrorist? These people aren't, but they expose the lack of security. Okay? They symbolically disarmed the Trident nuclear submarine base. Okay, so basically what they did is they embarrassed the feds. It's just that simple. So that was a big story because that's a, a good, a good um, example of how protests and other forms of dissent have been criminalized with serious felony-level jail time. All right? We're seeing that with the water protectors right now that are protesting the tar sands pipelines because these pipelines are going through, you know, not only indigenous, the land of indigenous peoples, but it threatens their water supply. Our government, and not only our government, but the foreign government that is trying to put this pipeline through with our government's blessing, they're... Our government's violating treaties that we have had with indigenous peoples now for some time. But again, the feds don't want to see that. And it doesn't matter if it's Democrat or Republican at this point. Okay. We have that criminalization of protests. We saw it in Ferguson. All right. I was there. Now, that's not an environmental thing necessarily, but I saw the police abuse, not only the protesters, abuse media, and abused people just happened to be standing in the vicinity who had committed no crimes. We have a problem here. So let's move on to another story we talked about on EJR. Uh, on October 29, 2020, we talked about the elevation of judge, federal judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. And even though feminists and religious minorities were justifiably concerned Regarding Judge Amy's, you know, obvious leanings towards theocracy, towards theocratic beliefs, the concern regarding her possible rulings on the crimes of the fossil fuel industry hadn't really been widely discussed, but it was quite significant, actually. See, Judge Amy, you know, has a conflict of interest, and it is her father. Not only did he work for the industry, but now he's part of the American Petroleum Institute. So basically, it's my theory that Judge Amy was brought in to assist big oil and other fossil fuel companies, and these are the ones that are directly causing the majority of climate change and climate devastation we're experiencing right now. Her religious fundamentalism, though important in the terms of the fight for religious plurality and equal rights for all, was the grand distraction. The story was about big oil and the right of states and local communities to sue for damages caused by these fossil fuel corporations. Remember, Trump was hot to get Judge Amy on the SCOTUS. Why her? Well, I believe this is why. So even though Judge Amy's been vilified by those of us in the political left for her hypocritical anti-feminist views, um, you know, as demonstrated by her lifelong membership in the ultra-fundamentalist sect of Catholicism called the People of Praise, you know, while we were concerned about that, and it is legitimate, the corporate media evaded another political red flag, and that was Judge Amy's longstanding, intimate family ties to big oil. Now, only Democratic Senator Sheldon Whitehouse approached this serious conflict of interest. And the history deals with Judge Amy's father, who worked as an attorney for Royal Dutch Shell and remains a central figure in a group called the American Petroleum Institute. That's the major lobby group for big oil. So when you heard about 
for instance, the Exxon uh, lobbyist uh, videos describing how easy it was to essentially bribe U.S. senators, you know, some of those alleged bribes were filtered through the American Petroleum Institute, so it didn't look quite so direct. Now, while Judge Amy did recuse herself from cases involving Royal Dutch Shell, specifically from her bench on the Seventh Circuit before she was elevated to the SCOTUS, she did not recuse herself from any other cases involving the fossil fuel industry, including their lobby group, the American Petroleum Institute, or from this point I'll just say API. Should be noted that her specific recusal was required by law in her home state. Okay? Now, this talent for semantic hair splitting demonstrates skill, but it also demonstrates a clear lack of integrity and principled judgment on Judge Amy's part. And frankly, she's far too intelligent to not comprehend this fundamental conflict of interest. And it's also clear she learned her lessons well from her mentor, surprise, surprise, the late Antonin Scalia, that the letter of the law, no matter how petty, is more important than the spirit of the law, and that is to her shame. And it's this myopic view of the law that allows such technically legal obscenities and ludicrous things such as enhanced interrogation, a.k.a. torture, to become legal. The time's long overdue to investigate the intellectual and moral bankruptcy of the originalist interpretation of the Constitution. It's time to hold these constitutional thieves like the late Scalia and his precious Federalist Society accountable. So we talked about that. We also talked about another case of environmental racism, and this was from a group called Louisiana Bucket Brigade, okay? And this was in October of 2020. It was one of our earlier pieces. And I talked about how The Intercept at that time had published a piece titled, quote, if we don't act now, the entire U.S. could become a cancer alley, end quote. And you know, they talked about how this cancer alley would develop because there's an abnormally large number of cancer cases far beyond what's usually reflected in nature by what epidemiologists refer to as incidence levels. Now, what's an incidence level? This is important. Incidence levels represent the average number of occurrences regarding any phenomena seen in nature. And these trends mirror what has been commonly known as the normal curve. So incidence levels should mirror majority trends with anomalies in a minority of instances at either end of the curve. So think of incidence levels as a grading system for diseases. When there's a skewing or an abnormally large number of cases, you pretty much have to look at other factors beyond just nature. And when you're looking at diseases such as cancer or any other autoimmune condition, which requires usually some outside triggering event, in other words, a carcinogenic substance, then we have to investigate what man, or in this instance, what industrial development has done to exacerbate the issue. So they have this area in Louisiana called Cancer Alley. It's a perfect example. And the epidemic of multiple cancers in this region directly coincides with massive industrial pollution. You cannot avoid it. There's been zero accountability regarding this. That people who live in Cancer Alley are forced to coexist alongside massive quantities of proven carcinogens which are improperly stored, on top of which they have to deal with the insult of politicians who permit this wholesale poisoning of this community while passing laws written by corporate lobbyists that criminalize any dissent. Talk about a scam. And the laws in that report included local and state laws that were either created or go and ghostwritten by, again, Alex, American Legislative Exchange Council usually. Um, and what they did was they criminalized protests and other First Amendment activity to the level of a felony. And larger pseudo laws written by multi, multiple presidential administrations, which allow corporations the right to sue any government for actual or expected profit laws. So they, these corporate, foreign corporations can sue local, state, even federal governments for either actual loss that they say they incurred or expected loss. They don't have to prove it, really. And that, that is penalizing communities as well who pass laws forbidding the dumping of known toxics and carcinogens into our air, water, and food chain. And the 
the device, the mechanism that allows them to do this through these bilateral, multilateral trade, trade treaties is called ISDS, or Investor State Dispute Resolution. And ISDS has been called out by several think tanks. They're, they're called the red carpet courts. And they basically, it basically uses this phony arbitration to protect the billionaire class and the corporations they own. So Cancer Alley is something, this is, this is a case where, I call it the Nurdle case, all right? So there's these people, and, and I'm going to get to it, so there's people in this area of Louisiana called St. James Parish, predominantly black and low income, and it's called Cancer Alley. And there's a new plastics complex, and this was right after Trump decided to gut NEPA, which we talked about at the beginning, which is the National Environmental Policy Act, which you've got NEPA, and basically you have no way to protect your community. Um, so St. James Parish has the country's highest concentration of chemical plants and refineries, and the, as documented by ProPublica, they also have the highest cancer rates and the worst particulate pollution and one of the highest mortality rates per capita from COVID-19 in the U.S., according to the Sierra Club. And there's this line here, which is, it, it tells the story right there. Quote, for those of us living here, it's not just Cancer Alley, it's death row. You can't say anything, but I'm going to say it again. For those of us living here, it's not just Cancer Alley, it's death row. So there was this foreign company. It's Taiwan-based Formosa Plastics Company. And this is what I call the Nurdles felony. So Formosa Plastics is based in Taiwan, and they have a Texas plant. And in Texas, they dump these massive amounts of plastic pellets, you know, the kind that look like little peanuts, and they illegally dump them into the Gulf of Mexico, and they call them Nurdles. And the company paid the largest fine uh, according to PRI.org, of any suit against an industrial polluter. Um, now, Formosa had a new project that was, quote, considered too polluting for Taiwan, according to Bloomberg. So they decided to put it at Cancer Alley. And, and you'll love the name of this, the Sunshine Project. So anyway, Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards gave his blessing and gave them the environmental permits to build this 9.4 billion 14 plant complex, okay? And that was as documented by the New York Daily News. It's gonna be one of the largest plants in the world on 2,500 acres in St. James Parish. Um, the plant would more than double the already heavy toxic air pollution, according to the smog blog, and more than triple exposure to cancer-causing chemicals, according to ProPublica, uh, including uh, emitting more carcinogenic ethylene oxide, according to Earth Justice, than anywhere else in the United States. And they would also discharge more waste into the St. James Canal and the Mississippi River. Now, here's the deal. A lot of people don't connect plastic to the fossil fuel industry but plastic is made from petroleum, okay? And what they're saying here is they're trying to expand plastic production because, um, you know, that basically plastics are the petrochemical byproducts of fossil fuel. Now, they're, Formosa is also anticipating that as demand for fossil fuel energy decreases, um, that the industry will expand fracking, drilling, and refining, and they're going to going they're going to need to extract more ethane, and ethane is the main ingredient in plastic. So in other words, they're going to be producing and selling more plastic. This is all about money. Okay, so they covered up the truth. Okay, and there's a really good documentary film called The Story of Plastic, um, and there's about this man Ronnie Hamrick who worked at the Formosa Plastics Plant in Texas. And so, um, according to Ronnie Hamrick, quote, I worked 25 years as a plant as a supervisor, but I had to get out of there 
because they got tired of the bull crap lying for them because that's all you do out there at that plant is lie, end quote. Um, so anyway, they were using as an excuse COVID. They were saying we're going to need more single-use plastics to help with public health, you know, for PPE, so we're going to need more, we're going to need to produce more plastic. And that was their excuse. Um, and, you know, once again, this is, you know, what's going on here, okay? So um, there was a briefing at the House Oversight Committee Subcommittee on the Environment that July, and it was the, um, the title was, the topic, that is, was Plastic Production, Pollution, and Waste in the Time of COVID-19, the Life-Threatening Impact of Single-Use Plastic on Human Health. And experts um, testified that petroleum and chemical plants are making COVID worse. They destroy African-American communities. Monique Hardin, who's the Assistant Director of Law and Policy at the Deep South Center for Environmental Justice, said, quote, what's left are the grave sites of these communities. And over those grave sites, the towering smokestacks, storage tanks, and processing units of petrochemical facilities. So let's get on to the Nerdles felonies. This is so ludicrous. So on Juneteenth, you know, that's the day that, you know, honors the emancipation from slavery. Members of this organization, Rise St. James, went, um, were, were basically were going to honor their ancestors. And um, so Formosa and local officials charged at the same time two peaceful activists from the Louisiana Bucket Brigade with terrorizing. And how did they terrorize Formosa? You know, those little plastic peanuts, no, little plastic peanuts, you know, made out of false styrofoam or whatever. They had left, a, they're called nurdles. They had left a box of nurdles that Formosa had illegally dumped um, elsewhere, and they left this box of nurdles on the lawn of an industry lobbyist. And now those activists were facing jail sentences of up to 15 years. I'm not making this up. I'll say it again. The Nerdles felonies, all right? They were, these people from Rise St. James were honoring Juneteenth, and they left a box of Nerdles, these plastic pellets that Formosa had illegally dumped elsewhere, and they left the box uh, dumped on the lawn of this industry lobbyist. They were charged with terrorizing, and they face jail sentences of up to 15 years for basically leaving a box of plastic pellets on the lawn of an industry lobbyist. Okay? That's how petty this has gotten. All right? Um, and once again, this is, this is how they're getting around it. They're, our legal system is doing their damnedest to charge and convict and sentence nonviolent demonstrators to long prison sentences on bogus felonies that shouldn't be felonies at all. And these judges are allowing this to happen. Department of Justice attorneys are allowing this to happen. And yes, it's happening on both Democratic and Republican watches, period. Because God forbid we should get in the way of their, of their profit. So, you know, again, Cancer Alley in Louisiana was created by the dumping of toxics en masse into the air, water, and eventually the food chain of the communities there by corporations. But since the area is predominantly black and lower income, these corporations were allowed to pollute with relative legal impunity. In fact, let's call this pollution what it truly is, a slow, premeditated poisoning of communities that are considered by politicians and banks to be acceptable collateral damage. The protesters who dumped these little nurdles on the doorstep of the, of the polluter, or rather, who dumped the nurdles on the doorstep of the lobbyists for the polluter, were threatened with criminal charges. Keep in mind, also the same plastic nurdles that the polluter previously claimed was safe. So apparently, these nurdles that were dumped into the, um, in Texas weren't so safe, but the lobbyist isn't going to admit that. And again, these people are facing up to 15 years in jail. Now, fuel was added to the fire when groups ghostwriting the law, like ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, crafted bills that not only criminalized constitutionally protected dissent, 
but elevated minor petty misdemeanors such as graffiti to the level of federal felonies. So go a little further now. Foreign-owned corporations were allowed the right to sue local, state, and even federal governments seeking to protect their citizens from this entire host of injustices through the ISDS phony arbitration schemes, the Investor Settlement Dispute Resolution. That's a legal contrivance. It was created by, multinational, by multinational trade agreement industry that allows foreign corporate entities like Formosa Plastics the right to sue governments for alleged, dam for alleged damages over lost profits, even if those profits came from illegal dumping of known carcinogens. They can even sue for alleged future profits that there's no way to predict. No proofs required from the corporation for all practical purposes. Oh, and get this, governments cannot countersue. This entire ISDS process is governed by panels of three arbitration attorneys who are often paid by the very industry they're tasked with judging. Do you really think they're going to bite the hand to feed them? I don't think so. In short, ISDS is an arbitration co kangaroo court that's been granted all the power to set aside any local, state, or federal laws that it desires. The residents of Cancer Alley had no chance against the ISDS regimen. Or as Gus Van Harten said, who is professor at the Osgoode Hall Law School in Toronto, who was uh, one of the uh, sources in a, state, in a study called Profiting from Injustice, quote, investment arbitration lawyers are not just ambulance chasing. They are also creating the accidents because doubling is arbitrators. They often interpret the treaties very broadly. So it's a bit like ambulance chasing after your friend has put banana, wheel, banana peels on the road. So that's that story. There were so many stories, it was hard to pick which one. And, you know, once again, um, you almost can't separate what is the political from environmental injustice. You just can't. You know, the political affects all of it. Um, and this is really, you know, sad. So we've discussed, you know, on the show throughout the past year, we've discussed uh, various political and legislative issues and even though they're not directly part of environmental law, these issues do indirectly affect our concerns. So, you know, we go a little further. And, you know, the other day, President Biden gave a lovely speech. And in it, he had this wish list of things that would help create justice, such as pass the For the People Act, pass the John Lewis um, Voting Rights Act, he mentioned something about, you know, increased access to medical treatment and an increased minimum wage and so on and so forth. But none of that can happen, not a damn thing, until the silent or procedural filibuster is abolished. Not reformed, abolished. Okay? And, and that's the, the issue, really, we have to deal with. Um, Otherwise, we're never going to get any of these things passed. And that also includes laws that protect the environment, laws that protect our kids' health. Okay. Uh, on this show, we also talked about the uh, issue of horse race reporting. And even though that seems a little re, um, removed from environmental issues, it really isn't. See, when you listen to somebody like Nate Silver, and I do blame him on a lot of this, he's really taken horse race reporting and made it big like it would be on steroids. And basically, this is when mainstream corporate media covers not only who's winning and how is it playing in a certain audience and, you know, how do you think they're going to get that, that white Reagan Democrat that, by the way, doesn't exist, and so on and so forth. And when they do that, it replaces any necessary substantive coverage of actually important issues. This has been going on since the 70s. All right? And because of this, you see the GOP comeback that features really an entire coterie of liars and useful idiots culminating in the tragic elevation of Donald Trump. 
Okay, the fact is the Trump presidency, which was a disaster for all sorts of justice, including environmental justice, a Trump presidency could not have occurred without this horse race reporting replacing actual journalism. Just couldn't have. You know, we talked about how the Trump EPA invited corporations to, re they say, quote, revise the pollution record of a now known potent carcinogen. You know, it wasn't just revised. They, the very corporations that made this carcinogen were allowed to go into the EPA and tamper with the records. I mean, essentially, Trump suborned evidence. I, I'm going to say again. Basically, Trump suborned evidence tampering of records to a federal agency. And the chemical we were talking about there was ethylene oxide. Okay? So why they're not going after him for that, I'll never know. If you or I tampered with official records, or especially evidence like that, we'd be sitting in a jail cell. So I, I truly do not understand that at all. Um, so we're going to go on here. Hold on. We have a caller. I don't know why these people call because I'm not accepting calls, but I guess they're so used to calling into Tucker or Fox or whatever, they, they think they can get away with anything that's not happening. Okay. So we're going to talk a little more. And we talked about this recently, a newly formed international crime, the crime of ecocide. And there's a group called Stop Ecocide. And they're talking about how can we make ecocide, which is really the destruction of the planet, an international crime. And so the Stop Ecocide group talked about first the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court. And that presently, the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court lists four crimes. Number one, genocide. Number two, crimes against humanity. Number three, war crimes. And number four, crimes of aggression, which was recently added. They want the statute to be amended to add a fifth crime, ecocide. Okay? And what they're pointing out is that instead of suing or fining corporations who just budget for the fines anyway, once you make ecocide a crime, then you create what they call an arrestable offense. And it makes those individuals, that CEO, the board of directors, the attorneys, that corporate attorneys that cover up the truth, it makes them, them responsible for, quote, funding, permitting, or causing severe environmental harm liable to criminal prosecution, end quote. And they're right. So let's talk about that, okay? Now, stop ecocide, they say it's a pretty easy four-stage process. And they say with power and beauty. Number one, I'm just reading straight from this. Quote, the proposal. Quote, any state which has ratified, in other words, officially agreed to, the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court may propose an amendment. There are currently 123 of these states' parties. End quote. Now, you should understand that the United States is not a signatory nation to the International Criminal Court. We should be, but we're not. Now, they go on to explain the power of this. They say, quote, as soon as a state or group of states submits a proposal, we will start to see changes in the way corporations behave. Investors, banks, and insurers will start to avoid dangerous investments because they know the law is coming within a few years. The time period is essential to allow businesses to change their ways and act as a transition period, end quote. And they say the beauty of this, okay, quote, Corporate success depends on public and investor confidence. No CEO or financier wants to be seen in the same way as a war criminal. A law of ecocide on the horizon will therefore signal the end of corporate immunity, yes, and begin to redirect business and finance away from harmful practices. Makes sense. Now, admissibility requires a majority of those present and voting in this group at the next annual assembly of the ICC to agree that this amendment can be considered. And the power is the ICC assembly, International Criminal Court, basically operates with this one state, one vote basis. So a small Pacific Island nation is just as powerful as one of the large capitalistic nations. And that's true justice. So the beauty of, they say, 
quote, there's never been a more suitable time for this discussion. States will want to be seen as to be taking this issue and therefore this amendment seriously. Number three, adoption into the statute. Now that requires a two-thirds majority of states' parties, which of the current 123 signatories would require 82 of them to vote yes for this amendment. It would, let's see now, it would most likely take place, um, lost my place here, what they call a special crime review conference. Then the final text of the amendment would be discussed and agreed to among all the signatories present. The power, once the law is adopted into statute, the crime exists, even if it's not yet enforceable. This gives it immediate moral power in people's minds, end quote. Um, the beauty of it, quote, harming nature will begin, to feel the, will begin to feel the same as harming human beings. This will help us grasp the fact of our connection with the natural living world. This reality is inescapable. Without a healthy earth, there can be no healthy human beings, as indigenous cultures around the world already know, end quote. Okay, and the ratification. Um, the signatories, they ratify it. They, they have to enforce the law in their own country one year later. And then ecocide, the power is it becomes a criminal offense in those countries. Um, and then under universal jurisdiction principle, quote, any ratifying nation may on its own thought, on its, let me start again. So, quote, under universal jurisdiction principles, any ratifying nation may, on its own soil, arrest a non-national for ecocide committed elsewhere as long as they consider the crime to be serious enough. So even countries which are not states' parties, for example, U.S. and China, will be affected, end quote, and that's good. This is something that has to happen. You know, what is it going to take? We, you know, we, the alleged adults are ignoring a teenager like Greta Thunberg except Greta's telling the truth. All right? It's the alleged adults that are behaving in childish ways. Like they think somehow magically this will just all clear up. It won't. All right? It just won't. And it's the mess we're going to leave to our children and grandchildren. And they have a right to a world that's livable. So... This particular group, Stop Ecocide, does a lot of things. They do high-level advocacy and legal expertise. They also do international grassroots campaign. And so far, they have 10 years of global profile raising of Echo, the Ecocide as a concept um, that was created by their co-founder, UK lawyer, the late Polly Higgins. Um, they have four years of diplomatic advocacy with small island nations at the International Criminal Courts annual assembly of state parties, they have an expert team of researchers, international criminal lawyers and diplomatic representatives that work with them. Here's one that everybody who's Catholic, and I, including President Biden, should listen to. Pope Francis called for ecocide to be made an international crime using Higgins' definition. So President Biden, if you ever get a chance to listen to this little simple program, the Pope has called for this. Okay. Already vulnerable state islands like Vanuatu and the Maldives have called for serious consideration of ecocide as a crime at the ICC, um, and it goes on, okay? Um, this is something that has to happen. It just does, all right? So we also talked about some other things. We talked about how the G7 talks were an abysmal failure and how they serve the interests of casino capitalism. Um, allowing the planet to burn while they had this false imagery trying to make it look like they were doing something about environmental justice when they weren't, you know, whether it was uh, carbon, um, carbon selling, which again is a scam, or some of the other technology, they were banking on technologies that either don't exist yet or haven't been proven they can work, and banking that it will work in the future. That's absurd. You know, we know what we have to do. We have to cut carbon emissions drastically. We have to go to renewables. I mean solar and wind. We did a show on uh, recently on the fact that we have to end the direct subsidies, direct and indirect subsidies to the fossil fuel industries they get from the U.S. government and have for 90 years. That's what's keeping it going. 
We need to take that money away from the fossil fuel industry and give it to these renewables and make it affordable for people to go solar. You know, those, those subsidies have been going on for 90 years. They no longer make sense. And, again, our tax money is helping to fuel this destruction of our world as we know it. Okay. And then, of course, we talked about the recent um, video that went viral of an Exxon lobbyist bragging about how easy it was to influence Petal in the United States Senate. And he listed 11 senators, um, both Democrat and Republican, and how they basically, he implied they took bribes. And then the Huffington Post followed through with another story and actually listed how much money these senators had taken various fossil fuel interests. So it was evidence that, yes, they not just not implying they took bribes, evidence that they did take bribes. And as far as I'm concerned, of those 11 senators that, that were mentioned in that video, Democrat and Republican alike, first of all, every single one of them should be stripped of their committee assignments immediately. And those like Joe Manchin, who are committee chairs, should be stripped of their chairmanship as well. They should not be allowed to sit in committee until they're cleared, period. That's it. And then they should face a criminal investigation. Because even though the lobbyist was bragging on air how this was technically not illegal. No, it is illegal. And instead of semantic hair splitting, we need to do something about the corruption that is throughout our entire government at every level. The fact is the idea of campaign contributions, as they call them, they're essentially bribes. They should be illegal. We should have uh, public funding of elections, and our elections should not take so long. You know, when Canada elects a prime minister, it's like the whole campaign is like two months, not two years. You know, why do our campaigns take so long? Because the longer it takes, the more money you have to raise. And that fuels this constant corruption. And both parties are guilty. There's no getting around this. And how does this affect environmental issues? A lot. It affects everything. We can't have any sort of rep honest representative government, even the slightest bit, until this corruption is gone. It's really that simple. So we've talked about a bunch of other things this past year, but these were some of the stories that I found the most interesting. And, you know, I was being kind of introspective the other day. Um, you know, because we, in addition to environmental crimes, we don't have real health care in this country. And I lost my entire family because of our horrible for-profit health care system. Um, my father, you know, passed away back in 07, but tomorrow is his birthday, July 16th. And I, I really wasn't thinking at the time when I started this show a year ago that it was on my father's birthday. And I can't help but think that this is a dedication to him. You know, my father always said, you have to be like Diogenes. Instead of cursing the darkness, you have to light a lamp so people can see the truth. And he couldn't be more right. And I'd like to think that somewhere his spirit is looking down, both my parents, and that they are smiling because I may sound like a dragon lady at times but only when people are doing the wrong thing we have to continue to shine a light we have to continue to tell the truth and demand justice we cannot be complicit we just can't otherwise we're just as guilty as the criminals that are more directly committing these crimes against Humanity and these crimes against the planet. It's that simple. It just is, you know, the old thing, there before the grace of God go I. So, anyway, 
I allotted 90 minutes because I was afraid I'd go over my time period, just in case. I'm trying to keep it to an hour, actually. So, again, this was our birthday show. Um, gave a, cute, a couple of examples. We're going to be back again next week talking about a new issue. And um, as my father always said, just like Diogenes, instead of cursing the darkness, you're going to light a lamp so you can so you can see the truth. And with that, I say good night and God bless. Happy birthday, EJR.